Thank you, ladies. That was awesome. I enjoyed that. <clears throat> I don't know if I can follow that. <laughs> that was a good song. I'm glad the Lord didn't find any fault anymore. After he saved me, that was it. So, Exodus chapter 14, as we read a little bit ago, uh, first 10 verses. This is like talking back to me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm already loud, <laughs> so don't make it no worse. So we, we're all familiar with this because we've been in Sunday school at least twice and attended church at least today. So we know what's going on. This is the exodus. This is the official exodus of the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And of course, the whole book of Exodus uh, is about that, tr- that uh, journey that they took. We understand that up to this point, you know, we've called Moses into service after uh, being raised in Pharaoh's home and then leaving the country. And now he's back and he, he stood and faced Pharaoh uh, day after day commanding Pharaoh with the words of God to get the people released. And these people have been there for 430 years. So they're very familiar with life as a slave. and God has finally done all that he needed to do up into and including killing the firstborn of every Egyptian child and animal. And he's done so much, so much. And now here we see these people. They're in the wild. They're in the, the desert. They're, they're traveling. They've headed out and been released and everything's going good. Everything's going just the way Moses said it would go. They're just moving on, left, right, left, as we'd like to say in the army. They're just stepping forward. And then we see in our passage, as uh, chapter 14 opens up, uh, the Lord spake unto Moses. He said, speak unto the children of Israel that they turn. Well, you see, if we go back and look at uh, chapter 13 and see, you know, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near for God, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So back in chapter 13, we see that God already knew that he needed to go a specific path when they left Egypt because he already knew the heart of the Israelites. He already understood that they were, they were weak spiritually. They were weak in their faith. They didn't trust Moses, obviously, as all the kickback that he got trying to get them to, to follow what God had told them to do. And God understood that he had, to, he had to point them in the right direction, the way that they needed to go so they would be safe. And even go so far as he led them personally with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. He personally took charge of the movement. And yet here we see that not, not far into uh, the journey, just a mere three days, which is what they told Pharaoh they were going to go, a three days journey into the wilderness so that they could worship God. They get three days into the wilderness and God says, oh, wait a minute, call them right, march. All of a sudden he changes their direction. Sometimes God, when you think you've got it figured out, will change your direction. And that's what Israel's going to face here. And we want to look at some things about it, and we want to look at some other things. Sometimes God will just, he'll blow your mind. But look with me, we'll look at this a little bit. We'll gain some perspective on it, at least I hope to, and maybe hopefully encourage you on it. So God says in verse 2, he says, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pahiharoth. 
between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Now, those three places are mentioned for specific reasons, and God's going to tell us what they are just a few verses down, but I want you to, I want you to understand something about those. First of all, Pahiharoth is, is kind of a hard, I mean, it's a fun word to try to say. I, I'm very proud of the fact that I have learned to say it. It's, it's taken me several weeks to learn how to say Pahiharoth. Okay? But Pahiharoth doesn't really have a specific identity. Some scholars believe that it was the name of the, of the scraggly rocks that were considered mountains in the area. Some scholars believe that it was a marshy wetland that was uh, encapsulating the area that would hold the people in place because they couldn't quite cross. It's like quicksand, you know, just mucky mire. But whatever the case may be, it was an area that was going to be significant in the events that were about to play out. It was an area that was going to help Pharaoh gain the perspective that he had about their entanglement. And then, of course, Migdal is uh, believed to be an Egyptian guard post. So as we read further down, we see that you know, somebody had told Pharaoh that the people had fled and that he understood that they were, they were trapped. They were encompassed in an area they couldn't get out of. And I asked myself, how did they know that? How did Pharaoh know that? He didn't follow them out. Well, that's how, because there was a guard post out there that was specifically there for the reason of reporting back when slaves escaped from Egypt. So they were there to capture them and send them back. So obviously this is something that they've had a problem with in the last 400 years. But Migdal was a, a point out there where they would be seen, they would be identified, they would be reported on, and it would help in God's task of hardening Pharaoh's heart because the report that he would get obviously would be the Israelites have made a mistake and they have changed their path and now they're trapped. Now they're stuck. And you know, understand that the wicked of this world are watching us all the time and when we make a mistake or they think we've made a mistake, they will seize that opportunity oftentimes to make fun of our God or make fun of our faith or to simply attack us as we see here. And then, of course, Baal-Zephon is a temple to the God of Baal, a God of Baal of the north. We understand that Egypt was a land that served many, many false gods. They had the, the moon god, the sun god, the god of the air, the god of fire, the god of the river, Nile. So many gods, that it's hard to even number them, but Baal-Zephon was the Baal of the north, a god that the Egyptians served, one of many false gods. And we see verse 3 says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, because he's been reported that they've made this mistake, they've made this wrong turn, and now they're entangled, they're shut in. He believes that they're shut in by the Red Sea, by the mountains, and then, of course, by his armies. The mountains are on both sides of them, and the sea is in front of them. The only thing behind them is him. They're stuck. They're easy prey. And so the wicked of the world are always watching God's people. And God says in verse 4, 
Now, I want you to pay attention to that fact that God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So you see here that God doesn't do anything in secret, does he? Everything that God plans to do or uh, decides to do, he makes it openly known. Now, in this particular case, he only told Moses. He told Moses exactly what he was planning to do and why he was planning to do it. What was required of the children of Israel was to trust the preacher. When God lays something on our pastor's heart, and he tells us we got to go this direction because that's what God's leading him. It's our job to trust the preacher. We may not understand, and I promise you that they did not understand why all of a sudden they were changing their direction because they were safe. They were gone. They had gotten out of town. Why go a different direction? The direction they went was a complete turnaround. They basically headed back towards where they had just come. But God laid out his plan. He laid out his plan to get his honor at the expense of Pharaoh. And he gave Moses warning about what he was doing. And he said, and it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. I told you that Migdal was the guard post. So they had sent message back to Pharaoh. And I watched Pharaoh's reaction here. He says that he was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. Why? God said he was going to harden his heart. God said he was going to, going to stiffen his neck. God said he was going to upset him. Because God is going to make sure that he gets the honor he's due. Well, back to our three cities, or back to our three locations that's mentioned. Migdal, we identified as a guard post. That's how Pharaoh found out that they had made the wrong turn. They knew where they were supposed to be going. The Egyptians saw them make the wrong turn. They reported it back to him. Pharaoh's got bold now. He's got them. He's, they're trapped. But what about Baal-Zephon? I said Baal-Zephon was a temple of one of the Egyptian gods. God's already told Moses, I'm going to do this thing that I'll be honored upon Pharaoh. God's going to get his honor in front of the world and in spite of the world and in defiance of the world. The false gods that the Egyptians served were going to be witness to the power of God. As we'll get into tonight to see the delivery of God, you'll see that God did everything openly just to get honor in front of not only the Egyptians, but in front of their false gods to prove that their gods were false, that they had no power, no ability whatsoever. But back to this tonight, it said, and it was told the king of Egypt, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against his people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now, when Israel left Egypt, we know that all the Egyptians were in shock. They were, they were hurt, they were scared, they were confused because I mean, all the firstborn children had just died, including Pharaoh's, and they just run them out, got rid of them. 
But then they came, I guess for lack of a better word, they came to their senses and said, wait a minute. <laughs> what are we doing? Why did we do this? I, when I first saw this, I, I made a note and I said, whoops, we've goofed. Because now what happens? All the Israelites are gone. All the workers are gone. Who's got to pick up the slack? The Egyptians do. Well, they didn't build their kingdom by being workers. They built their kingdom by dominating workers. But now they realize they've made a mistake and said, what have we done? Why have we let Israel go? And this is God further emboldening Pharaoh and his armies because they realized these guys were weak enough that we enslaved them for over 400 years. There's absolutely no reason why we can't go dominate them now. And that's a picture of the world that we're seeing today. In all, in all that's going on around us, as the church seems to grow weaker and weaker, the world around us seems to grow stronger and stronger. They're emboldened in their strength because they say we have been able to put our thumb on the Christians and shut them up and keep them down. And now they're no longer testifying of the goodness of their God. They're no longer witnessing the gospel of salvation. They're no longer telling people to repent of their sins because we've beat them down. And now we don't have to worry about them. And then every now and then there's a spark, or we'll call it a revival, but it doesn't last that long. And then they realize, wait a minute. Why are we letting them have their way again? They beat them back down. Because they're always watching. They're always waiting. So Israel's gone out, and Pharaoh said, we're going to go back and get them. And he made ready his chariot, and he took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them, only 600 chariots. And that was all the chariots that he needed. But he only took 600. I said, in that attitude, I see this. It said, first of all, that Pharaoh once again has failed to recognize the power and the ability of the God of the Israelites. Let's think about it. It's not been that long since his people have had to deal with flies, locusts, uh, a bloody river, dead livestock. I mean, ten different things, right? All in fairly rapid succession. You would think that somewhere along that line they would get a clue that the God of Israel, the God of the Bible for us, is a powerful God that he can handle what he's doing. Plagues, pestilence, and death, none of these things were even remotely convincing, apparently. The testimony of the church in the New Testament local church world today is not convincing, apparently. As we, in the greater Seattle-Tacoma area, experience on a daily basis how rapid sin continues to run and grow and grow and grow. And we've seen problem after problem and judgment after judgment and thing after thing that God has done to try to get people's attention and yet nobody's paying attention. Pharaoh obviously wasn't paying attention because now here he is. It's so easy for God to move upon him and harden his heart and the Lord, verse 8 says, And the Lord hardened his heart, 
hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. I was curious about that when I, when I read that last part there. It said, and it went out with a high hand. What does that mean? We'll go back to chapter 13 again. We'll look at that, or excuse me, back into chapter 12. Uh, to, to go out with a high hand indicates that they went out boldly and with great confidence. When God delivered them out, he promised back in chapter 12 when he was telling Moses what to tell the people of how it was going to happen. He says, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. Verse 36 of chapter 12 there. And they spoiled the Egyptians. They had been boosted in their confidence because they had gained favor of the people. They had been given all these gifts. They had all this extra stuff to carry, right? And then they were basically run out of town. So they went out confident and and boldly and the Bible says, with a high hand, proudly. We're free. We've been set free. We're, we're in good shape. Many of us experience that same thing at the point of salvation when we realize that God has set us free from our sins, has redeemed us, washed us, given us a new name in heaven, and set us on a new path. The Israelites were set on a new path. And they went out with a high hand. They went out with confidence. Many of us, is, at the point of salvation, we have a zeal that surpasses nothing. We are so bold and so confident and so happy with our new life. And there's so many great things ahead of us. And they were seeing so many great things ahead of them. And then sometimes God Changes your direction. And see, when back in verse 2, he says, Speak to the children that they turn. God had them going this way. And he said, Turn around and go the other way. There's something else I want you to do. But the counterpoint, verse 9. Said the Lord hardened, let me go back into verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But, and I said the other night that a lot of times when you see but, it could mean behold the underlying truth. This is not one of those times. This is one of those times when but means there's a counterpoint. But the Egyptians pursued after them. So even though they had gone out with a high hand, they'd gone out boldly, the Egyptians had sent them packing, basically run them out of town because they were scared, they were confused, they were, they, now they've decided, yeah, we've messed up and we're going to get them. So they pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen, and his army. And he overtook them camping by the sea beside Pahiharoth before Beelzephon. I got really good at saying that. Now I can't say it. Pahiharoth Beelzephon. 
Notice the drop of amygdala. It's no longer important that the outpost is out there because they've already been reported on. But they're trapped by the terrain and they're trapped in front of one of the false gods of Egypt. And the Egyptians are coming after them. They went out confident. They had all this boldness, all this high-spiritedness. They were happy. They were free. They were moving forward for God, doing what God had told them to do, doing it in the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit of God. How do we know that? Because they were being led by the cloud of, by day and the fire by night, right? God was leading them personally down the path that they were going. They had no worries, and then all of a sudden, God says, turn the other way. And now the Egyptians are pursuing them. In verse 10 it says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. They took their eyes off of the Lord, didn't they? First, uh, first and foremost, they, they looked at the wrong thing. After all that they had seen God do, after all that they had experienced, after all that had happened in their favor, they took their eyes off of God and they, they saw the wrong thing. You know, we, we like to, to preach that point when we talk about Peter getting out of the boat. When the Lord walked on the water to, to join them on the, the sea, Peter saw God and he, he had confidence as long as he was looking at God, but when he took his eyes off of God, he started to sink. Israel had confidence in God as long as they were following God, following the, the guiding angel that he had placed before them, keeping their eyes on him. They had boldness in their movement, but the moment they took their eyes off of him, they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. It would be nice to think that as they hit their knees in prayer, that they cried out in prayer to God to help and to do. But sadly, that's not the case. And sadly, it's not the case with us a lot of times as we find ourselves sore afraid when we get our eyes off of God and get our eyes on the situation that's going around us. The world around us right now is in total chaos with this COVID-19, uh, coronavirus, Armageddon, apocalypse, whatever the case may be. Christians of all people should be the most confident in this time. Christians of all people know the God of the universe. We know the great physician. At least I hope everyone in here knows him. I, I believe that everyone in here does. We should have the most confidence. And we know that the world is watching us. We saw that. They're watching how we're going to react to this. They're watching how we're going to interact with this crisis? Do we move boldly and keep our eyes on the Lord of our salvation? 
or do we take our eyes off him and look at what's going on around us and panic and get scared and react the exact same way the world does? Israel is between the proverbial rock and hard place. As they're standing in front of the sea, surrounded by mountains, with an army marching down on them. They panicked. They took their eyes off of him. But look at what they did. Verse 11, it says, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? This is your fault, Moses. It's the preacher's fault. We hadn't have followed your advice. We would be sitting back in Egypt safe, comfortable-ish, right? Working, eating, still alive. Yeah, sure, we might have got beat every now and then. It might have been slave labor, but we would have been alive. But because there wasn't enough graves out there, you brought us out here to die. So wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? This is all your fault, preacher. Why did you tell us to leave the comfort that we had? How's it comfortable? We get down on Israel a lot about that in the nation of Israel. We don't remember sometimes that they had been there for 430 years. There was not one soul there that remembered life as it was in the time of Joseph. Not one soul there remembered what it was like to be the welcomed guest of the king of Egypt because that king was gone. He had died. Joseph had died. And all of that had changed. The next Pharaoh that came along got scared and realized these people are multiplying faster than we are. They're going to be stronger than we are. So he crushed them. And for over 400 years, they had been crushed. They knew nothing but this was their normal life. So when Moses come along and convinced them, hey, there's something better and we need to get out of here, it was real easy at the time that things turned hard for them to say, but we had it so good over there. Don't we do the same? Those of you that have been saved later in life, I know I personally battle this. Not as much anymore by the grace of God, but in the earlier years of my salvation, I personally battled this attitude. When times got hard serving God, when it got really difficult because somebody was poking their finger at me or me and my wife were arguing or whatever the case, the kids were misbehaving, any number, you just throw the excuse out there. I was quick to say, why bother? I had it made when I was living in the world. I was happy. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was being a good person. I'm no different than they were. And you're not either. But we took our eyes off of the one that, that saved us, off the promises that he gave us. So they didn't understand this, but they, God had told the plan. He went back, he said, this is why I'm, 
this is why I'm doing this. He says, I will harden the hearts of Pharaoh that he'll follow them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts. God's whole purpose is to gain honor. The honor that he is richly due. In our lives and in the lives of the world around us that's lost and undone, he's still going to gain honor. So they blamed the preacher because they didn't understand. And they had good reason. They said, you know, we told you this was going to happen. Verse 12 said, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. We're good where we're at. We're okay here. We're doing all right. When we take the gospel forward to a lost and dying world, most of the time that's the very answer we're going to get. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm doing all right where I'm at. I don't need that. I've got a good life. But God's got so much better. So much better. But God's going to get His honor. But when we're serving God, we're trusting God, we're seeking God, following God, doing what He says to do, sometimes God changes our direction. He'll change your directions just when you think you've got it made. So good are often brought by the providence of God into the most trying situations of life. We don't understand why God would do this. I'm being faithful, I'm serving, I'm in church every week. Three times a week, four times a week, every time the doors are open. I'm in church, God. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you changing my direction? I'm going where you want me to go because God wants to get honor. And to get that honor, sometimes he's got to change your path because we'll get comfortable in that path. We'll get complacent. We'll get to a point of thinking we're doing okay and we'll stop trusting him. Israel was doing okay. They were only three days out. But they were, they were confident in where they were headed. And God changed their direction. The three points. Second point is sometimes God will put us in a place that makes no sense. It made absolutely no sense for God to park them in front of the Red Sea, which in all of my study, the best I can find, the smallest portion at the time, now the sea has changed because of silt transfer and everything, so there's a little bit more dirt there than there, was, there is now than there was then. But all I can find, the smallest area for Israel to cross for this event was roughly two miles. That's a lot of water. Two miles. In that distance, there is only one way that it could happen. God's got to do something great. It's got to be divine intervention. It didn't make any sense. They had a path to get around all of that. They were headed to a safe zone. When they lit out of Ramses, they were headed directly the way they needed to go to get where they needed to be and skirt the Philistines because God had already said they wouldn't handle the war. But yet now he's changed their direction and sent them back to a place where they're going to face war if the Egyptians land on them. 
They're trapped in the land around them. They can't go north or south. They can't go west or east because that's where the sea's at. They can't go west because there's an army behind them. It makes no sense. Why would God put them there? You're in a situation right now that you're looking around you and you don't know why you're there. Why would God put this in your life? Why would God place you here when things were going so well? You were doing so good. And you just woke up one day and all of a sudden like, whoa, your world's on its head. Why? It makes no sense. Sometimes God will put you in a place that makes no sense. Because his thoughts aren't our thoughts. And his ways aren't our ways. We've got to keep our eyes on him and trust him. Do what he says do. And finally, sometimes God will deliver us in ways we can never imagine. We know the story. We know what God's fixing to do. We know why he's doing it now. But do we take this knowledge and do we apply it to our lives and do we go forward in our lives in 2020? Or do we look at what's going on around us scared like the rest of the world, not realizing that God's got a purpose and that all of this that's happening, whether we understand it or not, is for Him to get glory. It's for Him to get honor. That's our, that's our primary reason for being on this earth, is to glorify God, to give praise unto His name, not to make money and get wealthy and die. Not to raise families and, and continue generations and generations. It's to glorify God. Sometimes he'll change our directions to do that. He'll put us someplace that doesn't make any sense. And he'll deliver us in ways that we'll never imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that regardless of how we see things or what we see, we, we know that you're in control. But Lord, all too often we'll, we'll take our eyes off you when the enemy comes against us and, or the situation around us is just scary. We'll, we'll look to it and we'll forget who, who brought us to that point. And Lord, we just ask for your, your guidance in our lives. Help us to be mindful that you're always there. That you're bigger than the situation around us. That you are in control. And that you will get glory in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And as we stand, as they come to give us a song,